Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, how are you doing today, buddy? Doing, I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. we got a good show today. We are going to bring in Christian Capel, who covers the University of Washington for us at The Athletic. We, we do actually talk about Washington a lot on this podcast for some of their recruiting misses. Hot start in the field, so maybe they will uh, have some recruiting gets uh, down the road, but that should be a good conversation with Christian. Um Big week for Florida State. A lot, not a lot going on on the commitment front, but Florida State got a huge commitment that kind of changed the tenor of their class. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that. Um, got a stat about some success of first year coaches on the trail. Not a huge shock, Ari, because there's so many big name coaches, but these guys are doing very well. We're gonna take a look at the newest job opening, Georgia Tech, and see how that fits in the pecking order of the the open jobs already. You know, mailbag and trivia. But let's first let's start with that Florida State. Commitment. Uh, Hakeem Williams, a number 22 overall, five-star wide receiver from Fort Lauderdale. Um, Manny Navarro, our Miami writer, did, got in touch with uh, Hakeem and did a really good story on his commitment. Class up to number 16 overall, number three in the ACC. Still a ways to go to get back to where we've used to seeing Florida State recruit, but off to a good start on the field, Ari. Getting Williams, seems like there's some legit momentum there. Yeah, I mean, 4-0 on the field, right? Um their stadium was packed. It, it seemed like their um, much more competent football team on the field, um, which kind of makes you feel like they might be more competent off of it too. Um, but this is a huge, huge, huge get because Florida State had been getting smoked in the state of Florida, you know, and, and Fort Lauderdale isn't necessarily close to um, Tallahassee. Tallahassee, but they, they, uh, they got a Florida kid, a five-star kid that was considering Michigan's, um, Texas A&M so you know all you know I hate to say this to, to rub salt in the wound but got to keep them you yep. know uh, last time I had a five-star player like this he flipped the Jackson State so I don't know if that's going to happen again could you imagine if Deion Sanders who's the hype of all um, coaching searches just flipped another Florida State five-star at the end um, I don't think Seminoles fans would be, uh, yeah, they wouldn't be very, uh, well, they already burned his Jersey after he stole Travis Hunter. So what else can they do? Um, but absolutely, you know, the thing with Florida state is that they are, um, a very good football team in comparison to what they have been, but they are sorely lacking in the talent that they usually used to have. So, you know, how do you build it back up? You have more competent years. Maybe they win eight, nine games this year, maybe 10, you know, start getting more five-star guys into the fold, and then you start building up that talent level so that you can compete at a high level with Clemson towards, uh, you know, year three, four, and five. So um, absolutely a huge get. The fact that A&M, you know, missed out on him, big deal too. Um, but in-state guys, the Florida State, all you can handle right now for what they need. Yep, they've got four players in the top 125. Um, eight of their 16 are blue chippers, a good ratio. Uh, they'd probably like to see it a little bit higher. Average player rating of 90.51. Uh, only one class that's ranked higher than them, South Carolina, has a lower average. So, in you know, unless they add some real high-end players, they're probably going to end up in that 13 to 18 range. I don't know how much upward mobility, is there, upward mobility there's going to be there. But last year's class average player rating was 89.54. So this is a full point higher. So that's just, that's what you want to see. That's progress. Now we're talk about a team that, although they did win last week, a team that has not been as good on the field this year, Notre Dame, they lost a commitment. Elijah Page, offensive tackle from Phoenix, four-star, number 353 overall, Decommitted last week. He's visited UCLA, but I think most people think USC is the favorite. Yeah, um, ob- obviously until Arizona State hires you know your guy, and then he'll just go to Arizona State, right? See what my guy did this weekend. Yes, yeah, I-, I was going to text you. I had the text written when they had like sixteen points or something in the fourth quarter. And I was like, ah, now nah, I don't want to be an asshole, and I didn't text it, and they like they won going away. I mean, anybody who like thinks I'm an asshole because they lost a game didn't understand the point. So I was like, I know, I, I, wouldn't I, know. Have I was being smart. Yeah, be like, oh, yeah, look at your guy; he can't even score point, and then they score 44 at the end of it. Um, no, it was like it was a good game for Oregon. But uh, Elijah Page, 
is the prime example as to what Notre Dame has to face, which is if things aren't all hunky dory or 100% in the right direction, you know, all hands on deck for Notre Dame. They have a bad game or two. They get upset by Marshall. You know, Phoenix to South Bend is a very far, far t- trip, you know. So the fact of the matter is, is that this is the stuff that kind of happens when the vision starts to derail a little bit. And, you know, it's the second time now that Notre Dame's lost a very important commitment to their class. Um, you know, the other being uh, who who committed the big one? Oh, Keon Keeley. Yeah, uh, yeah. Five star defensive from Tampa. Tampa. You know, it's not like these guys are from Indianapolis. So um, Notre Dame's recruiting struggles, I think, are probably expected given the fact that they have gotten off to a slow start. I don't know how much you want to beat the first year head coach coach up up over it. I'm not sure that I do, um, but it is just a, rem- a reminder of the challenges. And obviously, you have to take in, into account that Peyton Bowen is is somebody that's on on high alert too, potentially to leave that class. So you know, for a while there, they had the number one overall class in the country. Um, now they're down to number five. Um, and their average player ranking is still very good at 92.68. So they still got a good, you know, class for Notre Dame's level um, or, or typical recruiting landing spot. Uh, but they're just going to have to wait at least another year probably to be in that Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State discussion. So, you know, other other side of the coin, too, is that if he ends up at USC, um, that's a huge get for, for Lincoln Riley as they're trying to stockpile some offensive to, uh, line talent uh, in order to play in games that don't look like the one that they played with Oregon State over the weekend. Yeah, huge. This is you could argue I'm I don't have their target list in front of me or anything, but you could argue this is, you know, maybe the most important guy on the board for for USC. But their offensive line, Antonio Morales has written about this too. Their offensive line has been better than I think from the out the, I think there are higher expectations internally and it's been pretty good so far. But obviously they need to keep stockpiling talent. I think I slacked you this, but did you see that, you know, DeAndre Moore, a guy that we've written a lot yeah. about uh, over the Just go uh, to USC, man. Last few few years, committed to Oklahoma originally, decommitted after Lincoln Riley, did not follow his high school teammates at Los Alamitos to uh, USC, committed to Louisville. I think he has, he hasn't decommitted yet. There's some talk. I think on three was reporting that that Arch is trying to get him on board at Texas. Uh, so that is we've been talking about Louisville. Their season hasn't gone great. Scott Satterfield, hot seat, all that stuff. Can they hold that class together? So keep out DeAndre Moore, four, high four star wide receiver from from L.A. Yeah, you know, and that's the type of thing that you're, I mean, Texas's class, and I don't know if it's too soon to, to you know, kind of give up hope a little bit, but, you know, when Arch Manning committed, I thought they were going to sign a Bama class. Like, I thought they was going to be like five, five stars, like Jonte Cook times 10. And like, they have a very good class, but it's not elite and beyond belief elite, you know? So, you know, DeAndre Moore and a guy like that can help put it in the right direction, but Texas's class hasn't trended. The, I mean, what do you think about that? Did you, are they where they are in your mind or yeah. where they were going to be? Or do you think I like was just wrong in my expectation? I think, I think you were probably a little high in your expectation. Um, they, now, one thing that was just sort of like became a storyline because people just don't know, they don't look at the context. Like they got a lot of commitments right after Arch, but a lot of more just three stars and low four stars that they're right. going to get anyway. You're talking about the guys jumping on board because Arch is there. One thing that I and think they've got have, three, five stars. Yeah. So maybe I'm being right. a little, a I little, think you are. And I think one thing we have to keep in mind with Texas is last year's class. They signed two five-star offensive linemen. That was a great offensive line class. And I know those guys are playing, but we're not going to, you're not going to see the fruits of that until next year or the year after that's right. really going to, it's like the opposite of USC. It's like they, they have been recruiting great on the offensive line. So keep that in but mind. Only that, six top 100 players out of their 22 commitments. Okay. Well, so it's like kind of top more, heavy, seven. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They get the seven to 10. They're in a really good spot. Their class is number two overall right now. Um, their average player ranking, I believe, is in the 92s, um, which kind of like blends together a little bit with like the LSU, Oklahoma, yeah. Notre Dame classes. And of course, the uh, the three classes that have 93s are the, are the typical Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. So, yeah. Um, so here's a stat uh, on first-year coaches. In, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to hearing the stat. Okay, this is uh, yeah. from my buddy Bill Trochi, um, who works Bill at Sporting who? News. My, my Bill Trochi. Are you okay with that name? You seem like you're – Never – yeah. Uh, I never okay. made it seem like I wasn't. I just – Okay. You got a problem with an Italian name, Ari? Yeah, huge problems. <laughs> um, he texted me this morning. He said, hey, this, this would be for your, your Stars Matter show. 
seven of the top 14 classes in the 2023 recruiting rankings, first-year coaches. Number five, Notre Dame. Number six, Oklahoma. Number seven, LSU. Number 10, Miami. Number 11, Florida. Number 13, Oregon. Number 14, USA. Now, I've got to preface that by saying there are more big-time coaching changes than we've seen, but that's still... I was going to say those programs are pretty good too. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, but itself, so, that's that's half the top fourteen. In the this is the first full cycle. Well, I mean, eventually we're going to have to write a tracking the first year coaches column at some point. Like, I think we have to declare a winner of which first year head coach did the best job. Um, and it's not going to just be who which ones are ranked the highest because I think there's more context sure. to that. But the fact of the matter is, you don't see any of these coaching changes like resulting in the number 38 class when they've averaged like 16 the last three years. So, you know, it's definitely interesting. And you know, I don't know how many years we've gone where pro- this many openings happen at programs of that stature. Um, but that's why this cycle is probably the most interesting cycle that we've had in, in quite some time, because, you know, you also have what Jimbo Fisher's doing. If he can do that again, that's interesting. He's not a first year coach. Can Steve Sarkeesian build around Arch Manning? That's incredibly interesting. Uh, what was Alabama going to do with that? The talent rich, you know, cupboard of talent they had in Alabama this year. Who knows? Uh, was Ohio State going to slip back after their loss to Michigan and not making the playoff? Right. So many, so many things to, to track in this year's cycle. And you add in that cup of, of first year coaches who are, you know, working on their first full classes. And I'm, I'm you know, exactly what I'm kind of hoping to see. Yeah. Um, all right. Our uh, segment we started a few weeks ago where we took at a guy, look at a guy who did really well last week and kind of go back at his recruiting story. And so I picked Chase Cunningham, quarterback yeah. from MTSU. I'm like, okay, this guy goes down to Miami. Throw a 99-yard touchdown darts with the game on the line. Uh, yeah. stud. Average 25.5 yards per completion. 60-year senior from Knoxville Catholic, class of 2017. I did all this Googling. Didn't have a 247 profile. He was a walk-on. I actually, I emailed uh, Mark Owens, their SID. I said, like, what's the deal with his recruitment? I couldn't find him. Was he a walk-on? He's like, yep, he was a walk-on. So didn't really have a recruiting story. So I pivoted to Hendon Hooker, who obviously we know who he is. We know he transferred from Virginia Tech, but I couldn't tell you like how highly he was recruited there. So I do went to Virginia Tech, so probably not very high. (laughs) Um, Guess what his ranking was? Um, out of high school going to uh, yeah. tech, yeah, from Greensboro, from Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, 343. I'm so proud of you, 337. Yeah, that's usually uh, the, the ranking, like about like a now. What I don't know is like, I bet you that he was probably ranked like as like the number seven or 10 dual threat quarterback in that class. Cause that's, they still had dual threat. Yeah. I think he then. was actually two or three, but uh, I didn't write that. He down. was okay. I'm yeah. with Virginia so. tech over Oregon and Tennessee also had an offer from Clemson, but uh, the reason was, why I guess that high though, is cause he's like six, five, isn't he? Yeah, he's, no, he's, he's a large dude. So yeah, I, cause I do, you know, I do radio here once a week in Nashville and we always, we, we talk about Tennessee and like, I just always say, I, I probably saw three or four of his games at Virginia tech and I always thought he was really good. And, and, uh, I read Andy Bitter's story today, did like a fact, myth or fact on Virginia Tech and talked about maybe switching the quarterback uh, because they've struggled offensively. And Andy made the point like Virginia Tech fans don't really trust coaches in general about quarterback evaluations because they let Hendon Hooker get away. So because he's obviously having an amazing. Yeah. And here's year. another fun one for you um, Kansas's quarterback. What's his name again? Jalen uh, Daniels. Yeah, he is ranked outside of the top two thousand, and I'm thinking about pursuing a story on that. Did you listen to last year's? Did you listen to last week's Stars Matter? Was I on it? Yeah, that was yeah. my spotlight guy. No, I know, but I'm saying I want to do a story on him. Yeah, he flipped from MTSU on signing day. Yeah, that'd be good. I'm gonna, a story. I'm working on another story, but I need to. I need to get on that. Yeah. Um, all right, you ready to talk to Christian Campbell? You want to talk a little Washington yeah, let's, Huskies? Let's talk, you know, let's get. Let's see if I get fired up here. Yeah, you're going to talk about your, your boy, Jimmy Lake? Yeah. I mean, if he lets me, uh, you know, focus on the past, we're trying to think about the future, but yeah, God, that was a bad hire. Okay. <laughs> okay. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Ari, as promised, we're going to talk to Christian Capel, who covers the University of Washington for us at The Athletic. And, and Christian, first of all, welcome to Stars Matter. Obviously, a huge moment in your career that you'll you'll look back on. But uh, this is a recruiting podcast. But before we talk about recruiting, University of Washington Huskies are one of the biggest stories in college football this year. How big of a surprise is it? And are they close to kind of recapturing the, the magic that we've seen this program capture in the city? Uh, yeah, I think what, you, run? what you've seen through four games is, is kind of the, the best case scenario that I think maybe people had in the back of their mind that, okay, Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb have worked together. They got their offensive scheme. You know what it looked like at Fresno State last year. You saw what they did with Jake Hayner. They had some talented receivers. I think people looked at um, at the skill talent Washington had coming back, especially a receiver like Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk. And people were really excited about those three guys last year. And then last year happened. They went four and eight. They averaged 20, 21 and a half points per game. They were trying to run the ball between the tackles over and overhead, you know, smashing their head against the wall again and again. And it didn't work. And the passing game was, was really bad. Um, but you still came out of that year feeling like, they had some guys at receiver that could get a lot done. And so, you know, I, I think they added Michael Penix Jr. in the transfer portal and people were like, okay, like that could be an upgrade. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see if he beats out, you know, Dylan Morris and Sam Heward for the job because it's going to be a competition. And that's kind of silly to, to even think that like, you know, that guy was going to come in and be challenged by, um, by anybody really uh, the way he's played through these first four games. And I like, I, I've said this before, but I, I kind of feel a little silly for not hyping him up more and not making a bigger deal out of the fact that like the one thing that this offense you know, that could really jumpstart this offense, especially with with somebody coming in who knows what they're doing scheme wise and has proven it before is an elite quarterback. And I think you would have gotten maybe some some weird looks if you'd said before the season, like, look, Washington went out and got an elite college quarterback, Michael Penix Jr. People would have said, well, I remember the Penn State game. I remember he almost threw for 500 yards against Ohio State. He played for Kalen DeBoer, but it's been a couple years. Last year was terrible at Indiana. They hardly scored any points. He's been hurt every year. I, I don't know about this guy. Um, and he, he's he's kind of making that look silly <laughs> through four games. He's He's been, I think, everything they could have hoped for. So I, I think like Michael Penix Jr. being really good, Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk being really good, the offensive line being better, um, and then them being I mean, making bigger plays defensively and, and maybe being a little more exciting on that side of the ball. I think those were all things that like people could have envisioned coming into this year, but them all happening together and right out, right out of the gate and having that performance against Michigan state, even though Michigan state doesn't look like the same team they did last year. Um, I think they've exceeded expectations. I don't know that it's like tremendously surprising. I think it's, it's um, there were people who were very, you know, the most optimistic portion of the fan base could have seen like, any any four or five of those factors coming, but the fact that they've they've kind of hit on all of them so far, I think, has has exceeded expectations. All right, um, I want all right, I want you, you can ask the first recruiting question, but I want to preface this by saying it's, it's not uh, a recruiting question though. Can I ask him another one? You can ask him whatever you want, buddy. It's kind of a recruiting question. I don't know. Um, it's probably good that they found an elite level quarterback that's playing like that, right, Christian? What does yeah, it mean for the program though that it's not Sam Heward? Yeah, I think. If people were, I, I remember when when they announced that Michael Penix Jr. was the starter, and I tweeted it. I got a ton of replies that were like, "Damn it! I wanted it to be Sam Heward. I want to see Sam Heward. I wish it had been Sam Heward." Right. And if you could ask those those same people um, now, I think they would probably take it back. But like your point is valid. You have a five star quarterback who's a redshirt freshman and a legacy, and a guy who the fan base has been really excited about, and he was the backup all of last year. And I think that their quarterback play last year indicated that Sam Heward was going to have a really good shot to, to win the job as a redshirt freshman in 2022. So when you go out and get a transfer, I, I do think that it kind of puts some doubt in people's minds. Like, well, is he still going to get a shot? Is he still going to be the guy? And he's third string right now. I mean, he's he's still not their backup. Dylan Morris is. And I think he would close that gap in the spring and in, in preseason camp. He's a, a, a true classic air raid guy coming out of high school, 
and then learned the exact opposite of that last year under John Donovan and is, is now um, learning his third offense in three years. So I, it hasn't been like the smoothest transition for him from high school to college. You know, I, the obvious question is when you go out and get a transfer, especially someone like Michael Penix Jr., who, you know, if he continues playing the way he has been, he's going to have a shot to go pro this year, but he does have a year of eligibility left. So, you know, if he came back for a sixth year, now you're talking about Sam Heward not having a chance to be a starter until his fourth year in college. Is he going to stick around, you know, or or is, is he going to maybe start to wonder if there are some power five programs out there that, that could use his talents? Um, I don't know if anyone will. It's someone whose last name is Heward, whose dad and uncle both started at this program in the last 25 years. Um, it's the program he grew up watching. It's where he always wanted to play. There's not a chance in hell that Washington signs the 11th overall prospect in the 2021 recruiting class, who's a five-star quarterback with Jimmy Lake as their head coach and John Donovan as their offensive coordinator, if his last name's not Heward, basically. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I do think it's a concern, but you know, if you go out and, and get an elite quarterback who's tearing it up and he's got you in the top 15 and, and he's answered every question that the fans have had about the offense – um, and he, he has Washington relevant again. I think that's a that's a gamble you have to take. And you know, I think they gained some trust from from all three of those guys in that quarterback room by the way they handled the competition. And just you know, from day one, Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator, told Dylan Morris and Sam Heward, "We're going to go get a transfer to compete with you. We got two scholarship quarterbacks right now. Obviously, we have to have three, but that third is going to be you know the best transfer we can get, and he's going to come in and compete for the job." And that's what they did. They said they'd divide the reps evenly through spring and fall camp. That's what they did. And I think, like Kalen DeBoer said on on Monday, that um, you know, with the way that Penix has performed, I, I think in the way the way the coaching staff handled the competition, I think all three of those guys are probably in agreement that the the, the right guy won and the right guy is is playing based on their performance. So I think they've done everything they can and and um have followed through on everything that they've they've said and promised those guys so far. Uh, at the end of the day, if, if Sam Heward thinks that you know what that's that's great and I have no hard feelings, but I want to go somewhere I can like absolutely compete for the job and probably win it right away next year. I, I don't know if that's something that they can promise him, but uh, I think they've handled it to the the best degree possible for for continuity and keeping those guys engaged and giving themselves a shot to to develop him and, and give him a shot to be that guy down the road. Washington's been a polarizing program on this podcast. We actually talk about it a lot for its kind of lack of relevance. And I, I think it's partly because it's the, the history of the program, like when both Ari and I started watching college football, like our first impression, I was late eighties, early nineties. Washington was awesome. They won a national championship. Ari, correct me if I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but you probably started watching college football in the mid two thousands. Washington was terrible. So like I have this view of Washington that it can be elite and kind of what you said about, there's no chance that they get uh, a top 10 quarterback or top 10 player nationally. Was that more because it was Jimmy Lake and John Donovan? Like to me, a five-star player from Seattle should go to Washington and it's been well-documented how those players aren't going to, aren't going to Washington. So what should be the expectation? Shouldn't it be that five-star local kids go to Washington? You know, yeah. before you answer Christian, I want to jump in here and say that the reason why I've been so critical of Jimmy Laker was at the time is because I believe that Washington should get those guys. So like, I'm not coming in from a standpoint that they should be irrelevant. I think that Washington should be a top three team in the back 12 without question. So the fact that they had, you know, JT Tuimaloa and Emeka Ekbuka and guys in their area and weren't able to convert, I thought was an affront to the coach that was supposedly hired because he was a great recruiter. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people thought that I think a lot of people thought the day that Chris Peterson resigned and it's, it's kind of crazy to think about in retrospect, but I remember a lot of people saying like, oh, this could be an upgrade because, you know, Jimmy Lake was, was one of their best recruiters as an assistant and like, he'll be way more aggressive and he'll put more resources into it. And like, he'll emphasize and, and he just didn't, I think he put less resources into it. Um, and then, you know, they had COVID and everything and that. So, you know, from a, from a work ethic standpoint, it looked a little bit different. You couldn't go out on the road and, and all that sort of stuff, but yeah, everybody was dealing with that. Right. It's not an excuse. Um, I, I just think like they hadn't, that staff had not proven it on the field. Um, and as much like, as much as, as Jimmy Lake liked to talk about the NFL development that they'd had and, you know, they'd had more guys drafted in the last five years than any Pac-12 team. I think that's still true. 
Um, and then all the DBs they put in the league, like Chris Peterson was the head coach and Chris Peterson had his brand and kids knew who Chris Peterson was. They knew exactly what to expect from his program. He won 92 games in eight years at Boise state. He won two pack 12 titles in six years at Washington. He had them in new year, six games for half of his tenure there that was established. And, and their recruiting operation was established and their what they were selling and what they were pitching and what you were going to get if you came to Washington was really well known and, and consistent. And they were just, if, if you're a Mecca Egbuka, if you're JT Tuimaloao, I mean, how many edge rushers has Ohio State had drafted in the, in the top 10? And they're putting everything into coming after you. And they, they want you so bad. And every other school you're looking at wants you so bad. They're willing to wait until you know, June or July or the first day of school or the first practice, you could probably show up to the season opener and they, mm-hmm. they take you, you know? Mm-hmm. So I like with as much as was in flux at Washington, like I would have been really surprised if they got neither of those guys, but you're right that Washington needs to be at a place where it's inexcusable for, for that kind of talent to, to walk out the door. And like, I think they've got a bunch of guys locally in this 23 class who they sort of knew coming in. I mean, you watched Emeka Egbuka and JT Tumalo. I'll leave. You watched Josh Connerly um, go to Oregon, and really it was down to Oregon and USC. You're a distant third for him. His teammate Caleb Presley, who's in this 2023 class cornerback, you'd think that would be right right up Washington's alley given their history at that position. He's committed to Oregon right now. Josiah Wagner is another local guy cornerback. He's committed to Oklahoma. I think they knew with with some of the the big time local guys. Um, what the what the vibe was and what the feel was toward the hometown program coming in and thought let's get some of these overlooked guys from california up here on these visits and let's get some of these guys locked up in june because it's i think it's a little bit easier to sell like hey be part of the be part of the ground floor be part of the come up to guys who haven't been right next door watching the collapse and i think there was always the thought in mind that hey if you can get out in 2022 and put like a great game against Michigan state on tape and start four and O and be a top 15 team and be a really exciting offense and an exciting program that has fun that people want to come watch. Even if you, you lost some of those guys to early commitments, maybe you can get them to rethink it. Um, And so I just, I think there was always a belief that they could have this kind of season and get back on the radar with those guys. And like at Michigan state, they have 80 kids there, 80 recruits watching and there's Caleb Presley. I'm down there on the field at the standing next to the tunnel right before the students storm the field and everything. And Caleb Presley is standing there in a, in a purple UW sweatshirt. And so you can kind of see, you can kind of see some of those early signs of like the local guys. Okay, like let's let's keep an eye on this program. You know, maybe maybe this is worth rethinking. Maybe I should still be talking to these guys. So I think this year was always going to be really big for that. And they put an emphasis early on getting into high school. They had an in-state day where they had like every assistant coach was on the road and, and went to like seven or eight different high schools all over the state, you know, not just the Seattle area, but the East side to the Southwest corner of the state, some of the schools up North. So I think from day one, like they've known that that's a priority. They've known that that's been like a, a major issue here as far as like keeping some of the big guys home. They had five, in-state alignment they offered in the last class and didn't get any of them. So um, I, I think that they, they knew this season was going to be like really big to start to turn that tide. Uh, so right now I'm looking at the recruiting class for this year, Christian, and you know, I don't know, I'm going to ask Mitch a trivia question. You probably know the answer to this, but I want to ask Mitch, what do you think Washington's team talent composite ranking is in this season? If you had to guess without looking. Uh, 23. That's pretty good. You're a better guesser than, than ever I am. Well, that's 21. been established. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they, they, well, they, had, know, they had those back-to-back-to-back 15 classes, so there's some remnants of that. Yeah. They really only had one awful class, which was last year. That was more numbers than anything. So, to me, it's like they're the third highest talent composite ranking team in the Pac-12, and I'm looking at their schedule now, and it looks like, you know, this might be a tough game coming up. I think the spread's less than five. Um, Three and a uh, half, yeah three and a half. So, and it's on the road. Lucky you, you get to go to LA. Uh, but like the schedule sets up for like, is like Washington talented enough to make the college football playoff this year. I don't think they're built to go undefeated. Um, 
I think there's a lot of questions and I, I've, I've written this that like Kyler Gordon and or he doesn't Trent, read the athletic, so he wouldn't know. <laughs> neither do I. I, <laughs> I, my wife writes my stuff. I file okay. it to you. Okay. Yeah. You've never noticed. Um, Kyler she Gordon, write Ari stuff for me. So I, so it'd be easier to edit then. <laughs> That's not very nice. He's not very nice to me. <laughs> Uh, sorry, sorry for the interruption. Carry on. Can he answer his question now, or do you want to keep <laughs> blasting no, our podcast? Okay. Yeah, no, he can go. Thanks. Go ahead. Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon were first team all conference last year. It, two of the best corners in the country, first round pick, second round pick. And that's that was the continuation of a you know a, a long line of UW corners going to the NFL. But they didn't replace those guys in the lineup this year with you know just the next couple four star recruits, like you might think. They had to go out and get a transfer, Jordan Perryman from UC Davis, who's only played in one game and, and got hurt against Kansas State. I think he's supposed to be back this week for like the third week in a row. We'll see. Um, and then there their other starting corner to start the year, who's also hurt now. So like this is this is becoming an issue, the depth at cornerback. It was Mishael Powell, who was a walk-on in 2019. Um, a year where they had four, you know, DBs they signed who they felt really good about. So um that that position is not like super deep with star recruits like you might think. Um, now, one of the guys who has filled in for Jordan Perryman is Julius Irvin, who was a big time recruit in 2018, same classes as, as Kyler Gordon. Um, I think his final three were UW, Alabama, and, and USC. And Notre Dame wanted him really bad too. He's playing the best football of his career, but it's kind of been a slow climb for Do him. Do people call to, him Doctor J? Uh, they call him Juice. Okay. But yeah, the name, <laughs> the name definitely stands. His dad's Leroy Irvin, uh, played for the Rams. Oh, okay. Um, so it, he he's feeling he's a second stringer starting now. Their other corner is is Devon Banks, who's a redshirt freshman who they added to their 2021 class in like June or July. Super late addition. But you look at his athletic. I mean, he had no offers, no radar, no 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 buzz at all. But I think he was like a 10, 8, 6, 100 meter guy in high school. One of these guys who kind of fell through the cracks with the COVID didn't get his didn't get his junior year. And they like found him at a camp. And now he's starting for he's starting for them. Um, and I like I actually think he's he's one of the instances of like a hidden gem that they found. He's a really good athlete. He's had a couple like highlight real hits on on kickoffs. And um, he's gotten beat a couple of times and there'll be some some learning curve for him. But I think he'll be a good player. But like. I just say all that to, to point out like the, the depth in the secondary is, is not what it has been. And if there's something that's going to, going to kind of thwart their pursuit of a, you know, like you said, an unbeaten season or a playoff run. Like, I just, I don't know that they've got like just dude after dude after dude defensively, like they've had. Um, I think there are some guys who have that potential and like, certainly, I mean, they just had eight sacks against Stanford, you know, and ZTF Zion Tupula for two, he started to look, kind of like he did in 2020 when he had his breakout year and got some All-American love. And I think they feel good about their pass rush and stuff. But um, I think they absolutely have the offense needed to beat anybody on their schedule. They, I mean, the I'm looking teams, at the schedule, Christian, and I see you see a yeah, lot of Pac-12 teams. Yeah, every pack, yeah I see every, a lot of Pac-12 teams here, bud. <laughs> every, Pac-12, every Pac-12 team misses two teams, and the two teams they miss are USC and Utah. That's, so, uh, that's, that's advantageous. That's, you don't, Is you, that good? <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, I think those probably go one two in the draft of teams to not play. Yeah, um, not like Wazoo, which is very unfortunate to not get to play Colorado this year. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like the schedule definitely sets up. I just wonder with as as thin as they already are at corner, and as much as you've kind of like I think those guys did an admirable job against Stanford filling in. Um. But. I, I just still have some questions about how they hold up against a couple teams that can really throw the ball. Like, I mean, they go to Oregon and there's been I mean, talk. UCLA you know, can, can't they? Yeah. That would think so. Well, and especially if they haven't faced like a really mobile quarterback yet either. And even when they've been really good defensively, like that's been kind of the one thing that works against them or those guys who can, you know, the, the pocket collapses, everybody's covered, but look, there's 20 yards available to me up the middle. I'm going to take off. That's, that's kind of gotten them over the years and, that's that's going to be a big challenge this week. So, like, there is absolutely not a game on their schedule that they should think they can't win. Um, I, I just I look at that defense and and just kind of think they haven't really been tested by a great offense yet. And I I don't I don't know that they're quite built for a playoff run this year. Story idea, didn't we talk last year uh, at this point? With all due respect to Ari's alma mater, that 
was Arizona the worst Pac-12 team like in the last 20 years? I think Colorado might be staking yeah. a claim to that. Um, I want to talk kind of philosophy. We, we, we've had this discussion, Christian, and, and Ari and I spent a lot of time talking about like how, recruiting in-state, all that, you know, how much should you lean on your state? And the numbers in Washington actually aren't great this year. Like, you know, they're, they're not doing well in-state. But the, the, their highest rate, rate of players, number nine in state, Landon Hatchett, who I believe is a legacy. But there's no top 100 player in the state this year, only one top 200 player, which is Caleb Presley. So, like, sure, you want to do well in your state, but if you don't think there's guys in your state that are good enough or fit your system, there's nothing wrong with going to California. But then you got pressure on the high school coaches and the seven on seven coaches. So, talk about that dynamic, about the pressures that just in general that face a UW staff to keep those kids at home. Yeah, I mean, I think Washington has had so many high-level prospects, and like I already mentioned, the five-star guys. But they've they've had some some statewide classes with some depth in recent years. That like, I don't know that there's been a ton of pressure on Washington to recruit those guys because, of course, you're going to recruit those. Guys. Everybody's recruiting those guys. You know, Miami and Oklahoma and Ohio State and whoever else is is coming over to talk to those guys. I think where the pressure comes in are some of the some of the borderline guys who like maybe they've got some Mountain West offers, but if they have any Power 5 offers, it's it's kind of teams that are a little bit um, on the fringes and you know not not the ones that you, you want to throw a great social media graphic together and brag about type of thing. Um, but I, I just, I don't think that's a huge deal at the end of the day because they're going to prioritize in-state recruiting. I think though they're, they're more than willing to go to California if, if, some of those guys are still in wait and see mode a little bit on, on this program and want to know what the, the coaching staff is all about. I mean, you're, you're always going to live in California anyway. Like people make a big deal about in-state recruiting and it's, it is important. And like, it's a really bad look when a, you've got a five-star in your backyard, two five-stars in your backyard who leave for the same big 10 program. Like that's bad. Um, but they're always going to have more kids from California than from Washington. And I think there's a there's a belief that um, there's a lot of kids in California who USC or UCLA don't give the time of day to, who yeah, the 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 blue bloods the national programs aren't quite as interested in because they they don't need to be interested in them they can they have access to those four star and five star guys, um, but but who are really good players um, and it's not about I'm gonna go find you know the two star three-star kid with no offers who no one's talking to who isn't that good of a football player, but um, I bet we can turn him into one. It's about finding the guys who's, Hey, this guy is just as good as this other guy who's rated higher, but for some reason they're not on him yet. He doesn't have the offers, but like they trust their evaluation. I see like this kid's already good. This kid can help us so on and so forth and getting on that guy and selling Washington to him early. So he'll rem- like so that will resonate and getting him up on a visit. I think they've got a bunch of those guys committed in their class, and you've seen, you know, you've seen like a handful of them kind of get some more Power Five offers um, once they, you know, when when you, that happens a lot, right? One power, all it takes is one Pac-12 team. I'm speaking on the West Coast, but one Pac-12 team to find a guy and offer him, and suddenly everyone realizes, you know, like he's not a developmental guy. He's not a project. He's not raw. He just was overlooked. Um, so I think they they know that there's going to be a bunch of those guys in Southern California, especially and Courtney Morgan, who's their director of player personnel. I mean, that's why that was such a big hire is he has those connections. He knows every seven on seven coach, every trainer, every high school coach down there. And I, I remember talking with him after they got there. And I like, I think one of the, one of the ways that he really is a, you know, a value add for them is knowing which guys not to waste their time with, you know, like he can make one call and, Oh, this kid, like, this kid's got a USC offer. Like, is that a legit offer? What does he think about USC? You know, what does he think about UCLA? Is this, is this someone who wants to leave the state? Is this somebody who's just destined to, you know, that that's because the time was USC was, was going to get whoever they wanted in California. And that's kind of changed a little bit. Maybe it'll be that way now that that Lincoln Riley's there. Um, But he talked about that too. Like at least early on, like before Washington has really reestablished itself and people know what they're about as a program with this coaching staff, like not wasting your time telling yourself like we're going to be heroes and and just, you know, go after every single five-star kid and four-star kid. And there's no reason why any of these kids shouldn't want to come to Washington. So 
Like, no, that's not really the reality. I think so. They've, they've done a good job of like finding that intersection where upside and talent meets attainability and not wasting their time chasing guys who they, they really don't have any shot with. Christian, I know you, we just talked a little bit about um, in-state recruiting or you know a lot about it, but I am looking at the, the top five players in the state of Washington and the fifth players ranked number 403. So it's not an incredibly deep group uh, of in-state players this year. But as you mentioned, Caleb Presley is committed to Oregon. Um, Josiah Wagoner, number two, number 237 overall, Oklahoma. Uh, Jaden Lamar, four-star running back, Notre Dame. Jabari Johnson, quarterback, four-star, Mizzou. And then the fifth player, uh, Heath Ozeda, I think is how you say his name, uh, offensive tackle, 403 to Oklahoma. Can Washington be who they want to be or who they think they can be when the recruiting rankings uh, in the state look like this on the commitment side? Probably not. Um, but I think I do think it depends a little bit on what position those guys play. Like, I mean, you mentioned a couple of corners um, and they they definitely I mean, they definitely want want Caleb Presley, want Josiah Wagner. Like, that's not good when you, especially when you let one of them get away to Oregon. Um you know, but they they went and got Curly Reed, a uh, four star corner from Louisiana. You know, um, and they've they've got another like Vincent Holmes, a four star safety that they they pulled out of California. And so, like, if if you can go get like high three star, four star DBs out of California, which like ideally there's always going to be a bunch. I mean, even you look at the recruiting under Jimmy Lake when he was their defensive backs coach, they really didn't have a ton of in-state guys at that position. Like a Buda Baker, you know, was, was Buda Baker. That was huge. I mean, that was, that was enormous that they'd lost him to Oregon or someone else. He decommitted from Oregon by then, but you know, that like keeping him home, that was a, that was a program changer. Like one for the player he is, he was as elite as it gets at safety. And one of the, you could argue he might, might be their best DB in school history. Um, but also just for the message it sent. That was Chris Peterson's first recruiting class. He'd just gotten there. Boot had been committed to Oregon. So like that was a huge deal. Taylor Rapp was one they pulled from a you know a high school that did not have a great football program. Um, he had some interest. I think Notre Dame and Oregon had offered. It's not like he was super under the radar, but even he's had a couple in-state guys. Sidney Jones is from California. Kevin King is from California. Um, Jojo McIntosh is a multi-year starter at safety for them. He was from California. Um, Kyler Gordon was an in-state guy. Uh, Trent McDuffie was from California. So like they, they really lived in California when it came to DB recruiting. Um, I think Jimmy Lake would tell you like, it was super important that when there was an in-state guy that that wrote kind of rose to that level you're talking about, like a Caleb Presley or Josiah Wagner, like it's a big deal if you don't get him, but it, like if, if Caleb Presley goes to Oregon and Josiah Wagner goes to Oklahoma and Washington signs four DBs and three of them are, are four stars from California. Like, I don't think anybody's necessarily losing sleep over that. So I, I think it, it is important because it's what's more likely is if you're not getting those guys in state, you're, you're out of state DB recruiting or, you know, what did, we're using DBs as an example. It doesn't matter what position, like it's, if, if you're not getting the guys in state at a certain position, like it's, it's probably unlikely that you're signing like a super star studded class from, from other States too, but and it makes like you I, less I, likely the next time a Buka and JT2 and Maloow and those guys are in that state again to get them. And it's like, to me, yeah. I feel like, I don't know if I made a huge deal out of this and you tell me if I'm an idiot, but it's like they had a really, really awesome chance there to be awesome in the Pac-12. Like, I mean, it would have been three recruiting hits if they would have gotten all of them. And if you're watching them play at Ohio State right now, they're really good. Like, I feel like if you add three guys like that to Washington's current team, like the you, we might be having a different answer to the playoff discussion. Yeah, it becomes um, there's something to be said for it, like becoming the cool thing to do to stay home and play for the hometown school. Yeah. Um, then that you know that that goes a long way. Like I, I this this group of high schoolers right now who are graduating. I mean, let's say they're 17. 2016 was six years ago. So I mean, they were 11. That that that's like peak, like getting really really into football mm-hmm. um, time in your life where the hometown school was in the playoff. Like that should, that should be buying them a ton of goodwill with, with in-state players. But you know, the, the four and eight face plant last year, I just think changed everything. 
and then now you know everyone's everyone's down on on UW and you know you're talking about UW and or visiting UW or whatever on on social media and and posting the uniforms and stuff. I I, I literally think that that has become like much cooler for recruits in the last month, two months, three months because of the job that Kalen DeBoer has done so far. But that stuff changes and that stuff matters. Yeah. And two top 50 players in 2024 in, this, in Seattle. Yeah. And, and Jason Brown, that's, that's a huge one. You know, they're, they're running back from O'Day. Um, that, that those are the kind of guys like they, they can't let get away because like the, the skill position guys who are going to be touching the ball a ton and like can change your program by just getting one of them. Cause like, I, I tend to think people obsess too much over like losing one prospect or this kid decommitted at, at certain positions. Cause it's like, well, you need, you need a bunch of them. And it's, it's about the, the class as a whole and like stacking classes together. Like no one kid's going to make your program, but like the skill guys who touch the ball absolutely can make a, a huge difference. And, you know, especially like O'Day, O'Day's not just local. It's not just in Seattle, like it's down the street. So when you when you lose a guy from O'Day, like that's that 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 you really want, that you really put resources into, like that really hurts. So then yeah, that's that's gonna be a huge one. I I would think that deep down, like they would hope that if they have the season that that they're on the trajectory for and that they want to have, like maybe it's not a foregone conclusion they that they lose Jaden Lamar this year. Like he's committed to Notre Dame, but you know, kids Notre Dame just lost and, a four star kid uh from Arizona. Yeah, so it, it was Stay at Pac-12. Yeah, yeah. Territory. Yeah. He was so Elijah Page actually was supposed to be on that huge visit weekend that they had in June that ended up producing all those commits and he committed to Notre Dame like right before it. So he could have been on the boat. He could have been. He the was boat one party. They, they at least had convinced him to to get up for a visit. So now, are you need to go to a visit there? The boat, the big boat ride, good food. Seattle is one of the only two or three major cities in America I've never been to. You know what's so what's funny? Um, I, I read Sam Khan's story about the Arch Manning recruiting visit, mm-hmm. and uh, Adam Jude from the Seattle Times did a really good story a couple of years ago. It's basically the, the same thing. Like, here's what UW spent on its big recruiting, and it was like their biggest weekend. That was the last weekend in December before signing day. They had a bunch of guys who were already committed. Uh, Layatu Latu was the huge uncommitted guy they had up, and were kind of rolling out the red carpet for him. And I went back and read that story because I was like, oh, I wonder. I'm sure. It Is there was a dollar less. figure in there? Yeah. Yes, Mitch. Like, you got to guess. Don't tell yeah. us. Let Mitch guess. How much, how much do you think the University of Washington under Chris Peterson in December of 2018 spent on its its biggest recruiting weekend? Uh, $90,000. Uh, can I guess? Yeah. You, you guess. Grand. It, it was not 17. Let me get the... Uh, I want to say it was 71. It was in the 70s. Oh, it was in the 70s? Okay. So... About a, a <laughs> was way lower there. Huh? What what really reminded me though to to go check on it was I specifically remembered that they had an ice sculpture <laughs> on that on that visit weekend, and that was part of the Arch Manning story. So yeah. I guess ice sculptures are a little more affordable in, it, in Seattle than in Austin. Oh, things you can waste your money on when planning a wedding and a recruiting weekend. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you have right. an ice sculpture? Yeah. Did you uh, have one, Ari? No, we did not. Our wedding was outside. Uh, we spent a lot of money, but our our money was spent on the venue. We didn't That's do any of that foo foo. That wasn't spent stuff. on your guest list because I wasn't invited. But we can talk about that later. Yeah. Well, we want people who are good at editing at, at the <laughs> at the wedding, and you don't make the cut there. I'm sorry. I'll keep working hard. Well, Christian, I'm sure you had very high expectations for your first uh, visit to Stars Matter. I hope it lived up to it, and it's a it does it does uh, it's a big career boost for you. So, uh, but we uh, <laughs> a huge career boost. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate your time, <laughs> and um, hopefully now, Ari, when we talk about Washington recruiting going forward, we can talk about the guys they do get. Not I'm still going to get angry in 2024 if they don't get those guys. Okay. Yeah. Hey, all right. Making it known now. Put hey, putting the pressure on the staff. Kalen DeBoer, Ari's going to get pissed if you don't get the local guys. But Christian, um, any any parting shots for uh, your nemesis, Ari? Nemesis? Nice. I'm just trying to create a little conflict here. Since just, like, after to, me. You're just trying to foster beef here. Yeah. We've yeah, never, exactly. uh, Christian and I are, I feel like I'm like, you're like the only person at the athletic I've never fought with. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, like if, if if you're trying to like check off the last one off the list, I guess we can we can manufacture something. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll come up with some. You know what? Actually, come up with a story idea, and then I'll run it the day that you start working on it. Yeah, that, that's um, usually how Ari gets. That's, how, that's usually how I get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Three three stars matter. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. I'll get working on that.
Yeah. So Jimmy Lake will be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> development, development. Only if they have offer, offers from Harvard. Why? Yeah. Why Washington doesn't need to recruit its backyard. Yeah. yeah. Washington doesn't need the Pac-12 <laughs> to have USC and UCLA anymore because they're the Harvard of the East or the yeah. West. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, they're crazy the Harvard times. of Seattle. Yeah. So, all right, uh, Christian. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Thanks. All right. Thank you, guys. All right, good stuff from Christian Capel there. We appreciate him hopping on to talk about Washington football. Um, I want to talk job openings in a second there, but I just noticed I was looking at the list of commitments this week, Ari, and a name that sounded familiar popped up, the last name. Pitt got a commitment from a three-star, low three-star wide receiver named Dadrin Zipperer from Lakeland, Florida. So I'm mm-hmm. like, that name sounds familiar. I check his check the Florida roster. Keon Zipperer, tight end. I think he had a big play actually in the game against Tennessee last week. Yeah, it's his younger brother. They're from the same hometown, same high school, so I'm guessing it's his younger brother. My question to you, if you're on a staff, and it all depends on what school you are, Nick Saban doesn't have to worry about this stuff, how much does the siblings influence your recruiting? Do you go after a a three-star who you might might not normally recruit if he's got a younger brother? who you think you've got a much better chance if you get him, how much does that influence your recruiting? Yeah. I mean, I think you go after the guys that you think are good enough. And if somebody's on the fringe and then that player, um, his older brother was really, really good. I think you can give them the benefit of the doubt of that gene pool. You know, um, I don't know if it's like a, a main tenant of, of what I'm doing as a recruiter, but the thing that I've always been more fascinated with more than siblings is, um, if your father was very good for, if your father was a hall of fame football player um, and, you know, at Ohio state, there were a few, like right now they've got a commitment from a three-star uh, defensive end named Will Smith and Will Smith's father was a key member of the 2002 national championship and an NFL defensive end. So it's like, if you're in Ohio state's position, can you go try to find a four-star defensive end in Texas? Or do you go after the, the legacy player and give him the benefit of the doubt that his gene pool and what his father accomplished translate based on the way he was up, brought up and all that stuff? That, so, that's what always amazed me about the Steph Curry recruitment and then Seth Curry, too. That I get it. Fell through the cracks. He's a small guy. He was skinny. But, like, he could shoot, and his dad played in the NBA. Like, I'm just still shocked no major school took a look at him. Yeah, I mean, there's one major one that I'll never get over. It's like Antoine Winfield was one of the best defensive backs in the history of Ohio State football and went on to a very prominent NFL career. He's great at Minnesota, too, right? His kid didn't get an Ohio State offer. He goes to Minnesota and is like, awesome. Yeah, where was he from? Did he grow uh, up in Ohio? I think think he was in Minnesota, wasn't he? Is that where Uh, he Because Antoine Winfield played for the Vikings, so – but like but my he, point he was great like, right away at Minnesota too, right? He like was awesome. Son. And yeah. like he was and Antoine Winfield wasn't a very big uh uh wasn't a very big player like his father, I'm saying. So, but yeah. like I think Antoine Winfield was a little bit undersized, but he was a Antoine Winfield Jr. Actually, Woodlands, Texas. I'm an idiot. Okay. Um, the reason why no, you're not an idiot, are you? Just made a mistake. He played college at Minnesota, but right. he was ranked the number 1415th wow. player in the country. And it's just like, how low can you go? Like, you can't <laughs> fault Ohio State for not taking that. But then the guy goes to Minnesota and is awesome the second he gets on campus and you look at Ohio State, and like, what were you doing? It's like, it's like, is that fair or is that not fair? Like, I don't know. But, like, sometimes I feel like if your father was a Hall of Famer, a college football Hall of Famer, and a, a high-end draft pick and a legend at your school, that, like, you should just take them out of out of respect. Yeah. No, but you I, do it too I, many times, or you're from a school that has a lot of right, really yeah, good players. You, or a, lot of, a lot of Ohio State players have kids, probably. You know, a lot, a lot yeah, of guys in the yeah. '90s are having kids. So, but I do think that there is something to the um, what's the the lineage thing, the DNA thing, and I don't know if it's upbringing or exposure to the game or good coaching or resources or what it is, or just people who understand what the business side looks like. You know, because if you don't come from an NFL family, you might just be blinded by you know nice cars and women and all the things that like the NFL big contracts, the NFL promises. But if you are actually from an NFL family, you see the amount of work that goes into it and you have a better understanding of, you know, the, the approach that you need to do to be a very good football player. So, you know, 
I think that's very, uh, very interesting thing because you can't assume that someone's just going to be good because their dad was good. But there is something to it, I think, because he was only 5'10. But if you, he's in the NFL now. Yeah. Starting. So, yeah, I mean, he's all American, I believe. Yeah. He's I mean, playing. I think that he had an interception in the Super Bowl last yeah. year or two years ago, didn't he? I don't recall, yeah. but I know he's a good player. Um, all right. Job opening, Georgia Tech. I think we have three fascinating job openings. He had an interception in the Super Bowl for the Buccaneers. Okay. Yeah. Good work um, by him and you. I think we have three fascinating schools with with job openings from a recruiting standpoint, all very different strengths, so to speak. Like Nebraska has the tradition, the passionate fans, all that stuff. Georgia Tech has Atlanta. Georgia Tech is one of the more interesting recruiting schools because it is in the best for concentration of talent. You can argue it's better than Miami and L.A. Maybe it's not, but it's right there, Houston but it's second fiddle in its own state. And then you have Arizona state, which is sort of a combination that it's the big state school. And it's a huge metropolitan area. It doesn't have tradition, doesn't keep kids there, but it has the potential. So like you're Ari Wasserman, you're a general manager. You're not the head coach, but you're, you're going to be hired as the general manager, the guy who's in charge of recruiting and putting a roster together rank. You can go to all three of these schools, rank your one, two, three. Um, Georgia tech, Arizona state and Nebraska, Nebraska. Um, I could you make a case for no, Could you make a case for each as number one? I don't think you can make a case for Nebraska being number one. Okay. I mean, maybe you could. Okay, you can make the case that Nebraska. I think you could. Yeah. Okay. I'm not you saying I would, it, but I think you could. So let's just make the case for each one. Yeah. Georgia Tech is obvious. It's in the heart of Atlanta, and even if they're not going to be getting the five star players that Georgia wants, there's a depth of talent there where you can find under overlooked players. Yeah, don't let Jeff so Collins lack players. of success for you. There's plenty of players in Atlanta to build a roster around. Now, I wouldn't want that job because I don't think that the academic side of that would be. You're um, anti, Ari's anti-academics. I don't want any players on my football team being distracted by class. Okay. No, but I do think that they they have a very hard college yes, yes. from what I understand. And Andy yes. was saying on his show the other day that they don't even have layup majors like most other schools do um nebraska is in the middle of nowhere but i think nebraska is probably the biggest national brand out of the three and even if it was in the 90s and it was forever ago there's a certain passion and respect from that team and that fan base and that university in terms of of commitment to the football program that you don't get at either of the other two places right and i think that commitment to the recruiting strategy or i mean to the recruiting budget and resources and having facilities when you do get kids on campus the right way um, is a very important thing and an underrated aspect when we talk about coaching jobs. So that would be my case for them. And then I think Arizona state is a sleeping giant. So um, proximity to uh, California and California school, um, large alumni base, cool stadium, great city to live in. And Arizona is now growing in population so that the talent level coming up out of Arizona high schools is much deeper than it was even five years ago. Um, so I would rank them if I were not a general manager, but if I were taking the job, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a head coach and I get to pick what job I want. I go ASU one, Nebraska two and Georgia tech three. Interesting. But don't you think that I think it's an interesting mix there that we could legitimately Georgia tech also has to play freaking Georgia every year. Well, the problem that their schedule, they, they did Jeff Collins, no favors. I'm mean, playing at UCF. They hosted Ole Miss. Their non-conference schedule is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, they were just not competitive. So I understand like, I mean, it wasn't working and everybody knew it wasn't working. So I, I just don't know. Like, it's not like Jeff Collins didn't try to own Atlanta, you know, like didn't well, they a, have their, right. you know, well, that, that was, that, that was the criticism. Jeff, uh, Jeff Schultz, uh, the athletic wrote a, wrote a good column. I thought it was, it was harsh, but just, it just, he focused so much on marketing and slogans and all that, and that's fine, but you got to win games. And, and you yeah, know, I read that. Yeah. So it's so it's just like, I don't know, like what Jeff Collins didn't do that I would do in order to accumulate the talent in the state. You know, it's like, it's kind of like the same thing that you could probably knock on Arizona State, too. It's just like, you can be in the city, but if nobody gives a shit about you in the city, then are you in the city? Yeah. Good point. All right. A few mailbag questions. Um, this one from, from Christopher K in your, your mailbag on, uh, on the, at the athletic. I'm serious. When I ask this, 
why do you say 247 instead of 247? Is that what they've asked to have each number said? Uh, I never thought about that. Um, Neither. I'm probably they definitely have not asked anyone to say anything. 24-7 sports is better. I think it's easier to say 247 sports. Like, I think we say 247. If you were like, oh, my God, I've been working my ass off. I haven't had a break. It's been nonstop 24-7. Do you ever say it's been nonstop 247? Right. Exactly. You're right. So it is kind of odd that we do call it 247. I don't know the answer to that, but I think it sounds better. Yeah. I feel like 24-7 sports sounds cheesy. I never really liked the name. Do you like the name The Athletic? I hated it at first. You did? Really? Oh, yeah. Like, I remember when they first called me, like, you want to work here? I'm like, The Athletic? Okay, dude, what is this? Like a sporting goods store? Protein shake? Like, yeah, (laughs) I didn't didn't know. Yeah, I I mean, you know, it's the same thing with every every name. Like, I don't like on three's name either. I didn't even know what it meant. You get used to it. Rivals, I guess, was kind of rivals and scout. I like scout. That was a good name for a recruiting website. Yeah. Um, But once you get used to it, it's just like second nature, I guess. Uh, Yeah. I mean, even ESPN's a weird name. Right. But like it just once it becomes normal, it's like the athletic sounds normal to me now. Right. Um, but I'll, I'm still going to call it 247 because I think 24 7 sports uh, kind of. Yeah. Cheesy. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. Uh, James C. This is a good one. Uh, what programs have been recruiting well this season that might suffer some defections because of if or when the season doesn't go well, as might have been assumed? Conversely, which programs haven't been recruiting well? So basically, who's helping themselves and who's not? I, I put down. Couple programs that that are definitely helping themselves: Washington, and we talked to Christian about that. Kansas, and I think Texas Tech. I, I think it's the message is clear there. Texas Tech is a really good one, and they're backing it up. And the the ones that are are hurting themselves: Louisville. We just talked about DeAndre Moore's flirtation, and I'm going to well, go Virginia. also too. Isn't Louisville's coach kind of on the hot seat? Yes, definitely, definitely. So- and I'm going to go Virginia and Virginia Tech. Even though they got first-year staffs, they've been underwhelming on the field, offensively really struggling. We've we've chronicled their struggles in the state there. So, but I think I think from the good, you got to agree. Washington, Kansas, and Texas Tech are no doubt helping themselves. Yeah, uh, hurting themselves. Notre Dame is the clear answer here. Yeah, for yeah, hurting I themselves. That. Did you say Notre Dame? No, I had it written down just on a different line there. So. Uh, Oklahoma, if things go a little bit south. Here, that was a tough loss. I don't know. Maybe it's too soon to say that. Yeah, I think it's too soon. I mean, it's just one loss. Um, and we, we always talk about how Miami are maybe? not in my recruits are really not influenced by results for the most part. It's just when things go much better or much worse. I think expected. recruits are more influenced by good results than bad ones. Yeah, because we're I mean, all front runners, kind of. You know, like all my friends are Cowboys fans because they were good when we were kids. Like, I think that's just kind of how it is. So like like even as Christian said earlier on the show, like he feels like Washington might be in a good position to flip back some of those in-state kids because Washington's been good. It's like, yeah. But like if Washington was bad, I don't think they would leave. You know, I think it's probably more influential to be on the helping themselves side of this list than hurting themselves. Yeah, because as we talked a lot about, uh, especially with the new staff, team struggling, hey, you, instant instant playing time. You're the type of guy that we need to turn this thing around. You know, that's all that their message on the really team that's going to be happening. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, trivia? Trivia time. How are you feeling? Awful. Okay. <laughs> I'm always terrible at it, so and then you yeah. laugh at me. It's a, it's an it's a weekly ridicule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to come up with some I mean, at least on the at least you don't like throw SAT questions in my face like they do on the Andy <laughs> Yeah, Shaper I know. So. <laughs> that, these are these are legitimate Did you look at that a, that SAT score or question? Did you ever yeah. look at the picture? The, Did you try the, to solve it on your own? The math one? Yeah. Yeah. Did you solve it easily? Uh, yeah, it took me a minute to fig- to to think about because it's been thirty years since I did an SAT question. But yeah, I saw I got it before you did. Okay, great. But um, but you you know, Nicole looked at it. I was like, I'm done. I was like, okay, I know. Okay. What was that all about? I was like, yeah. I mean, I haven't looked at an algebra equation since I was 17 years old. Right. I don't even know if I had finished puberty yet. <laughs> I'm like 35 now. What do you want from me? To remember the process? What was the what's the thing that they say? The order in which you is yeah, a math I forgot. Term. Yeah, I forgot what it is, but I knew how to do it. So that's yeah. Um, there, there's a term. Yeah, we get it, dude. You're smart. Okay. All right, let's go. Let's let's do this. All right, okay, I want ne- starting next week. I'm gonna come up with really easy questions for tell people. No, next to week I'm gonna do it. Okay. Well, what is this? this no, the, the show is I ask the trivia questions. Okay. All right. That's fine. Okay. From 2014 to oh 2018. Oh boy. 
<laughs> and also random years in the middle of like my memory. Okay. It's a five-year stretch. There's a reason I picked those. There were 12 okay. five-star quarterbacks. So they're all in theory, they're 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 in they, if they're still in college they're in their fifth year of eligibility now. From 2014 through 2018, there were 12 five-star quarterbacks. How many have started at least one game in the NFL? That's part one of the question. How many of the 12? And how many are currently starters? I'll say seven played a game in the NFL. No, it's the question start, but what you said, how many oh, started? Oh, how many started? Same thing. That's what I meant. Seven. Yeah. Okay. And I'll say one is a current starter. Wait, you said 2014 to 18? Yes. Oh, okay. Never mind. I'm wrong. I already know there's two at least in, in the starter. All right. Wait. So Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, right? Correct. Are, are in the 18 class? Yes. Um, are you so cheating? my my no, my, I'm cheating. How could I be so wrong every week? And you think I'm cheating every week? Because <laughs> you're looking at something. No, I'm can not. I, can I tell uh, you something though? Seven I, is correct. Seven, okay, seven is correct. Very good. So then, so then I'll say three, five, five. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, th- so the seven who have started are Trevor Lawrence, or the seven who have played, and then I'll we'll go Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. Davis Mills, Tua. Or, so Kyle Allen four. has to be one. Yeah. And then Kyler Murray. That's the fifth starter. The two other guys who have started but aren't starters are Josh Rosen and Kyle Allen. Yeah. And then the five who have not started a game, JT Daniels, who's still in college, fifth year. Hunter Johnson, who's actually still in college, sixth year, back at Clemson. Shea Patterson, Jacob Eason, and Blake Barnett. Okay. Good job, though. Yeah, I realized my mistake before you laughed at me. Yeah. Um, but five is a lot. For a four-year period, that should be pretty good uh, proof of concept. Yeah, five-year period, 12 five-star quarterbacks, yeah. and five are currently starters. In the but NFL. seven have played or started have a game. started a game. And, yeah. And, I knew and, Kyle Allen was in the 14 class, and I knew that Fields and – but like sometimes I forget who the five star quarterbacks were in the middle there. But right, and those guys weren't just like one game starts. Josh Rosen started sixteen games, and Kyle Allen started seventeen games. So not not has not, Kyle Allen started seventeen games just sporadically throughout his career, or did he start them in a row? Uh, not in a row, but I think he started a lot, a decent portion in a row um, with Carolina. Like I think for parts of two years, yeah. he started a bunch of games there. So yeah, yeah. All right, okay, man. well, good that show. Good. Yeah, good job. Good Thanks, show, Christian. For for. Yeah coming on we always enjoy kind of diving deeper into teams that we don't typically discuss a lot even though washington is a frequent brief conversation on the show um yeah i bring them up and you dismiss them yes but i thought that was interesting it's it's an interesting dynamic of thinking like hey you know we're not going to get everybody in washington but even if we don't we'll be able to replace them with people in california which you know i could buy unless it's a five-star um Thanks for you, Mitch, for doing all the research and coming up with the awesome trivia question and editing my stories. And thanks to you guys, of course, the most for listening and continuing to support the show. Feel really good about the direction that we're headed in. And, you know, we're in September now, so we're two months away from primetime recruiting territory. So stick with us and excited to, you know, keep pumping these out every week. Uh, Till next week, that will start. Magic.